1: I am Paris. Hey everyone, it's Paris and we're back with another episode of I am Paris. Today I am so thrilled to have one of my favorite artists on the show. She's a singer, songwriter, musician, DJ, and club icon. She wrote and performed one of my all-time favorite club anthems, "Free." And I am so happy that we got to do it recently at my first ever live concert. She's also the host of a new podcast series for my company, London Audio, called The History of the World's Greatest Nightclubs, which drops on July 13th. Welcome, Ultra Nate.
2: Hey, Paris. Hi, everybody. Hi, gorgeous. How are you today? I am so stoked to be here. I am so excited
1: too and I love the podcast so much. I was listening to it. I was I learned so many things. I thought it was so interesting, and informative and fun and just brought back like memories of how much fun nightlife was and just learning about all these pieces of history and these iconic stories and some parts were so emotional. It was just like Really incredible.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, recording it and being a part of this club culture for so many years, but being inside the stories in the way that we were for the recordings it was really very emotional for me as well. After every show, I was just like, "Okay, I've got to go take a deep breath because this was this was a really deep dive," and I, and I love it. I think people are going to be very surprised and very engaged by these stories. I agree. I just was really
1: just blown away. And I, I loved how you just like felt like you were there again and just like hear it just like the stories just like come to life. And you literally felt like the that episode with Danceteria, like I felt like I was in the club just like hearing about it.
2: Yeah, I really wanted to, to convey that. I wanted people to feel inside the moment. Um... I think that's the most important thing when you're narrating. And I, I've never done this before, so I was really kind of shooting from the hip. But I know when, when I listen to a story, you know, how I wanted to, I want to be able to see it in my head and, and feel, you know, the aesthetics of the place and, and uh, what, what, what the vibe and the energy is like. So I just tried to really, you know, insert myself into each story. Um, and it's, it's just going to be so overwhelming. I can't wait to hear, hear them in their totality. Like I'm, I'm on pins and needles right now. <laughs>
1: I know everyone's going to be so excited and I love just the title of it is just so sick mm-hmm. because we've been yes, to the every World's time race. I say
2: it they're like Woo, yeah. okay this is going to be hardcore you know
1: <laughs> yeah yeah as someone who is a connoisseur of clubs <laughs> clubbing forever mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. it's just I don't know I'm just so excited to be a part of something like this and I'm so excited to have it You be the voice of it and the face of it and everything because you are just such an icon and I've loved you literally since I'm a teenager and your music just means so much to me. So
2: thank you, thank you. It's this has just been a, an amazing experience, and I'm really thankful to to you for choosing me for this. I mean, it's it's um it's amazing. Um, I don't know any other word to use for it to really describe it. And I know when people hear it, they're just gonna they're gonna gag because I gag. Yes, <laughs> <So>, yes,
1: <yeah. laughs> I gag too. So everyone's gonna gag. Yes. <laughs> so every episode, I start off with icebreaker questions. Mm -hmm. And the first one is, if you could do anything in the next year, what would it be?
2: Well, that's pretty broad. But if I could just like throw out my huge, super huge wish list, it probably would be um, doing like a proper world tour with my band in some really amazing venues. um, And then going on a really long vacation to someplace chill like Bali or something and sit on the beach and Do yoga and eat fruit all day (laughs) because I need that kind of break after after that.
1: Yeah, I feel you. I need that kind of break right now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So let's get the tour going first. I would I would definitely love the opportunity to to do more stuff with my band and um, play more venues in that way because that's that's a whole other other level. And the music comes across completely different, especially dance music. You know, because people don't expect to hear it in its full live context. You know, um, they're so used to it being electronic. But the the occasions that I've had where I've performed with a full band, like there's so many more layers and so much more uh, richness to the music when you hear it in that context. So that would be something I would I would love to do.
1: I would love that. I would be there in the front row dancing.
2: <laughs> yeah, got to do it. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, epic. And I love Bali. It's one of my favorite places.
2: Everywhere I've been, and I have not been there yet. That's why it's still on the bucket list. You have to go. I'm
1: like, what happens? Why do
2: I keep not being booked in Bali? What is happening? Let's
1: manifest it right now.
2: Try to turn it into a vacation, so let's make it happen, world.
1: Hello, Bali. What's up? The queen (laughs) wants to come over there, book a show. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) We're manifesting it right now, so you Mm -hmm. will be in Bali soon. It is done. Mm-hmm. You're there. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. What chance encounter changed your life forever?
2: Let's see. Um, probably probably meeting one of my best girlfriends uh, named Jay uh, almost 40 years ago at this point because she's really the reason that I stumbled into the music business. Um, she was the one that first got me going to the clubs. So through her... I I fell into club culture and created a whole community and found my tribe. So that really changed the trajectory of everything. Mm -hmm. Um, When I had no idea that somehow I would migrate into the music business, I found this club experience and she was the catalyst for that.
1: Yes, I love that. I feel like the same way with me. Like so much of what I do and who I am is because of the club culture. Like it really...
2: Oh, absolutely, and and we're still best friends to this day. So, yeah, she's—I uh, always credit her with with that moment.
1: I love that. What is the best advice that you've ever received?
2: Oh, that's easy. Um, my great grandmother used to always say to, in anything in life, eat the meat and spit out the bones. Eat the meat, and I've always carried that. And it basically just means to take whatever experience and get what you need out of it. Get what fulfills you, what sustains you, what fortifies you and throw away the garbage, Mm -hmm. the parts that are no good.
1: I love that. All right. I'm going to think about that next Mm -hmm. time. Very good advice.
2: So I have a couple questions for you. Mm -hmm. Um, What's the first music that you've ever bought?
1: First music I ever bought was Madonna. I remember when Uh, that album came out. mm -hmm. I was just like blown away. I was so obsessed with her. Like this woman is such an icon and a legend. And
2: yeah, definitely. I love
1: her so much, obviously.
2: Definitely. I think my high school years, I was wearing Madonna clothes to, to school and they didn't really know what to make of me because one day it could be Boy George Culture Club, the, the next day it could be Madonna. <laughs> and they were like, what is wrong with this kid? So yes, definitely. I feel that Madonna. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. What's uh, what's a family tradition that you you would like to carry into the future?
1: Mm, we have so many family traditions, but just how close our family is and just like making sure to like have my kids believe in Santa Claus and mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy and you know, just try to I don't know, keep that like those childhood traditions.
2: Yeah, you want to keep them innocent and young and it's fun. Mm-hmm. And you met my son. Yes. I mean, I I don't I don't know when Santa Claus was revealed. For him, but we definitely, you know, wanted to keep the keep him, you know, kind of out there in Peter Pan land as long as possible. So that that's cool. Yeah.
1: Andre, I love your son. Let's he's see. so sweet. Tell him I say hello. I
2: will. He's he's your biggest fan. Yeah. He was so excited. I, I always tell everyone. I think he had more fun than Jonathan or I. At the event. <laughs> <laughs> As he was just about to implode the whole time. Was
1: so cute. I know. I
2: he really made it. I kept day. seeing
1: him just like dancing and smiling and so happy. And so it made me so happy.
2: Yes, he was, he was on cloud nine and he's still on cloud nine. He's like, that was my trip of the summer. I don't need to do anything else, mom. I'm good. So, so you made me the, made me even more of a rock star, mom. Thank Hell you. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> so Let's see. I've got another question for you, actually. Um, what's something about you? That surprises people when they first hear it.
1: Mm. That I'm a tomboy. Like a lot of people are surprised. That, that I'm shy, which people are very surprised Mm -hmm. by. And that I'm such a daredevil. Like I love jumping out of planes. And then I'm a tomboy in a way that I was on the high school ice hockey team, which people don't believe me until they Google it.
2: Wow! Um, nice. Yeah.
1: So a lot of people don't like. I think they just see me on the red carpet and at these glamorous mm-hmm. events, but they don't see how I really am. You know, behind closed doors in real life.
2: Yeah, I'm a bit of a tool time Tina myself, actually. So you know, <laughs> 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 because I, you know, I was probably been part of like a club in Baltimore where I live called Paradox, and it's thirteen thousand square foot, huge analog sound system, and. And I would be right up under the DJ booth with the sound guy like tinkering away up under there and moving things around and moving amps and plugging things up and unplugging it. So I definitely get it because people never could believe that when they came in, that I'm like in this sound system, like putting things back together. But, you know, it's 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 really good. Mm -hmm. Good. I love that.
3: work.
4: Zumo Play.
1: So, on this first episode, we are going to be talking about the past. So, you started singing at an early age. When did you first discover a passion for music?
2: I think I always had a passion for music. I mean, long before I understood it in terms of a talent, um, and definitely before the the concept of a career ever came into play. Um, music has just always been the backbone of my life. Um, I grew up in a household where my mother had layers and layers and stacks and stacks of vinyl albums, um, of 12 inches and, and I lived in them and I, you know, I love to rifle through them all and, and look at the art and read the liner notes and learn about the artists and, um. You know, I really loved having, like, that tangible album in my hand. And then also, you know, my my family was very into church, so I went to church a lot with my grandmother. And um, even when I became a teenager and, you know, there was no one forcing me to go to church, I still went because that was just part of, like, the culture that I was from. And gospel music was a big part in that. So I think I've always been immersed in music, but I don't, I didn't really come into um understanding how it had impacted me until i became an artist and then it was like time to make music suddenly and the only thing that i could draw on as someone who had never written songs before the moment i wrote a song and it became like my first record or ever sang in the studio i drew on those that music that i grew up on and that taught me how to Turn a lyric. How to uh, create an emotion in a phrase, or um, just a lot of lot of finer nuances um, that you that you kind of don't pay attention to.
1: Mm -hmm. And which artists were you first inspired by?
2: Ooh, that's that's a lot of people. (laughs) That's a lot. (laughs) Um, so initially, I would say definitely from my mother's collection, it would be the soul R&B and gospel stuff from my church uh, in those early, early childhood years. It was things like um, Earth, Wind and Fire and Rufus and Chaka Khan, the OJs, Marvin Gaye, Patti LaBelle, Isley Brothers, Barry White, you know, um, Sal Soul, Steely Dan, you know, uh, Eagles, then by the time I think I started getting a bit older and, and uh, scrolling the dial on the radio, I was listening to like you, like Madonna, um, Janet, Jody, Whitney, you know, all the icons that only require one name. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, the police, Eurythmics, Culture Club, uh Michael Jackson, Sade, I I was kind of all over the place because I did used to literally like lock myself in my room and scroll up and down my radio dial. And that was my, my place to escape um, and just immerse myself in all different kinds of music. Yes. So in
1: 1997, you released your major hit song, Free. What inspired you to write the song?
2: I think, um, the history that happened before that moment. Uh, free happened at a moment when, it went, when I was at the crossroads of what I was doing with myself as a career, because I was going, my intention from high school was to go into medicine. And I had studied health occupations curriculum while I was in high school and started college, going towards that end of becoming a doctor. At some point. And then um, I kind of stumbled into the music business by accident, falling into club culture. And I, it, my first record that I wrote and sang, It's Over Now, became, you know, signed to Warner Brothers in the UK. So suddenly I went from just being a a kid running around in the club to like, oh, now you're like a thing and you have a major label deal. And, you know, it it was kind of like disorienting at first. And it was, you know, all this expectation, like, oh, now you're going to write an album. And I was there for it and I loved it all, but I was learning everything on the fly. I was learning Trial by Fire. And um, I did two albums for Warner, the first one, Warner UK, which was a, a really great experience in an audience and with a label that really got it, that really got dance music. Then it flipped to Warner U.S. for my second album in a label and in sold to a country that didn't really get dance music in, at that time. Um, so that led to like, okay, that's over with and done after the Warner U.S. deal, after I did my second album. And so I was kind of at the crossroads like, okay, this was all great. This was amazing. I didn't see this coming. Do I continue with this or do I now get back on track with what my main what my plan, what my life plan was. And so I was kind of at the crossroads of myself and my manager, Bill, who had been very instrumental in really positioning me very well as an as a new artist to step out in the forefront. And so we had a lot of conversations about what do we do next. And we decided I would continue. Um, I felt like at that point, this was not an accident. Because at first, you know, those many early years, I was like, this is some crazy accident thing going on here. But, you know, the, the universe cannot conspire all of those things that fell in place to put me where I was to be an accident. And um, God doesn't make any mistakes. So it was something that was meant for me. So I decided to Stay in it and give it and continue and give it a little bit more time. And so at that moment, what brought free together was the fact that I no longer had a record deal. Um, I no longer was in the deal with my with my producers because I had left the basement boys at that time as I wanted to work with other producers and other songwriters to continue to grow. And um, I had nothing to lose. Absolutely nothing to lose. So I didn't have to live by anyone's standards. I didn't have to meet anyone else's need. I didn't have anyone to say to me, this is what's happening at radio. You need to do this kind of record. Um, this was the last hit in the clubs. You need to do that kind of record. I didn't have any outside pressure. You know, Bill and I, we just had for lack of a better word, freedom to write whatever kind of song we wanted to write. And so we felt like if there was ever a moment to really go balls to the wall and experiment, this is the moment. And so at that time, guitars were not really a thing in dance music. It was always pianos and drums, of course. So we knew that guitars were going to be the cornerstone of what this song was going to be built around. We were both inspired by acts like R.E.M., Sheryl Crow, you know, really song songs. You know, I've always been a a song song kind of Writer, So I felt like, okay, I'll just step all the way out there on the complete limb. And no one has to like it because I have nothing to lose at this point. And that's what we did. And we crafted Free, along with Mood to Swing, uh, my producers for the song, and Danny Madden, my vocal producer. And everyone's collective energies and contributions went into the soup to create what we all know now as this classic record.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's literally, to this day, one of my favorite records. It's just, I remember when I first, I told you the story, but, and I also talk about it in my book, but when I was at Provo Canyon School, and when I got out of there, it was 98, and I just remember going to a a club and hearing that song for the first time and I was just like oh my god like I'm obsessed like who is this I need to like know everything about this person <laughs> and like I was just like listening to that song on repeat like I just and still do it's just such Thank a you. sick song and just like puts you in the best mood and it just has like this energy and vibe that is just like indescribable so everyone check out that song right now by my queen it's called free, and it's, <laughs> it will literally put you in the best mood ever.
2: You know, it was so crazy because we—it really was a risk. I mean, we had people ask me all the time through the years, "Did you know it was going to be a hit when you came out to see know? And it's like, there's no way to know. You know, there was no there was no template to say that if you you know if you paint by these numbers, you're going to get this result. You know, there were, there, there were no guarantees. And we had no idea if anyone would even like the song. That was the thing. Like, we were just like, well, we hope somebody likes it. You know what I mean? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then your life just changed. Right. right exactly.
2: Exactly. Exactly. It
1: must have been so exciting and fun.
2: It was. And it was the Winter Music Con- Winter Music Conference 97. And that's where, like, all the DJs around the world collectively, everyone went to the same parties at that time. So, like, you'd have the whole industry Of everyone from the record labels to club you know pluggers to radio like everyone was in the same room at the same time and the djs were just hammering it that whole winter music conference that year like everywhere you went on the beach free was screaming in the distance or just like hands in the air at the club three or four times through the night so after that it was just like the shot heard around the world
1: so awesome and then for the music video where did you think of that concept?
2: Well, here's the here's the amazing thing about about this whole scenario is that, you know, we were lambasted for that video. <laughs> you know, I mean, we really we really caught caught some real vibes um, about that video, because I think the label, well, I know the label was was expecting like your standard, straightforward everybody get up and dance, you know, we're at the club and here's the DJ yeah. kind of video, very straightforward. And, it, and we turned in something that was more like artsy and, you know, ironic and this whole like heavy story. And they were like, "But well, where's the disco? Like, where's the party? It's, <laughs> this, is, this is house music. Like, what? Is, we can't work with this. What are you talking? What is this? And so we caught so much flack for it and reading your words in your book just really, you know, twenty some years later, just validated like everything that we stood for in that moment. Even when the people on our team didn't get it, and I say when I say we, I'm speaking of myself and Bill Coleman, my manager, because we really went out on a limb. It was the, I was shot by Worlds of Wonder,
1: mm-hmm.
2: all the uh, Randy and Fenton that are behind RuPaul's Drag Drag Race, and they were longtime friends of ours from the New York early New York days, um, Club Kid days. And so, you know, when Freak was coming out, we had a little budget. You know, Bill went to Randy and Fenton and asked them if they could come up with something. And they were they were so gracious and so wonderful. And we just left it to them to come up with whatever concept they they wanted to do. And so the concept came from them. And so we were like, okay, this is what we're doing. We're going to be in this this very stark, very antiseptic environment. It's it's going to represent you know, this particular kind of atmosphere in space that's going to be completely counter to what the expectation is or what the the look is on the outside. And so, you know, we loved it because, you know, we're we're a bit heavy in certain areas, but they were like, We just want to dance video. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was uh it was a little tricky. So I I thank you for that because that really was like vindication reading your words in your book about how that like you got it on so many levels and it was like see they were (laughs) (laughs) like there there were people getting this and this woman was like a child at that time you know and getting it and understanding like what the inside story is like Mm -hmm. that's what makes it important so you know their record labels they do what they do it's a machine you know so what, what can you do but the art was able to to speak, and that that was really great to know that it actually didn't did come across that way.
1: Yeah, I thought it was just incredible, and I think the people who need to understand it understand it because they get it, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. there's people who just don't get it. They're they right. lost
0: with all things with, <laughs> with all everything. things, right? Yeah.
3: work.
4: Demo
1: play Hi, this is Paris Hilton. Some of the best times of my life have been spent inside of nightclubs, singing, dancing, and being free to truly be myself. And now I'm the executive producer of a new show, The History of the World's Greatest Nightclubs. I wanted a show that represented freedom, joy, and hope. And there is no one better to host than someone who has inspired me for so many years with her musical talent.
2: I'm Ultra Nate, and I've been in the music industry for three decades. I'm a singer, songwriter, and musician. And now I'm inviting you to join me on this global nightclub journey. We'll dive into the origins of genres that broke the industry and uncover the stories of legendary DJs, all through the eyes of the people who partied at the height of club culture. Listen to the history of the world's greatest nightclubs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I would say congratulations on Free's 25th anniversary. Can you tell our listeners some of the exciting things you've been doing to celebrate?
2: We've been doing all the things, <laughs> all the all the things, you know. Um, you know, first of all, it's just about, you know, so thankful that people still love this song the way that they do and that is still so present. Um it has continued to be present for the generations. And um, I'm at a place in my career now where I run into people around the world and they're like, you know, I grew up on your music. And that's really special that that I've been a part of people's stories for so long and that free has become something so much larger than what we created that moment in the studio. It has taken on a life of its own. So to celebrate that. Because there had been like a million bootlegs and, and covers and you know, just it's been willy-nilly for the last 20-something years. We wanted to do an official package release of free. So we did a remix package in 2021 with um with fresh new mixes to just first set up the anniversary celebration. Mm-hmm. Um, and then out of the blue, Iconopop came into the mix. And had a version that they had worked out and I loved it. And I was a big Iconopop fan and it worked out that we would do the, do it together. So that version came out and is still running around, you know, doing the thing. Their album is just dropping actually. And the song is on there. So I'm very excited about that. Um, I I was doing um, the Ibiza classics tour with Pete Tong Mm -hmm. and um, with the orchestra which was, you know, Jules Buckley Orchestra is incredible. If you've ever seen any of their arena stadium dates here in the UK, hearing the club classics of Ibiza done in an orchestral way is like so overpowering. It's just so amazing. And so free was that for that season, free was like one of the closing songs. And we had, um, they had approached me about us possibly re-recording it. And so we finally did that. And the, um, the version was actually initiated by LG Giopi, who is like such a sweetheart, so amazing, um, extremely talented young woman, uh, definitely a woman to watch because she's about to take everything by storm. So she came up with this version. Pete loved it. They presented it to me. I loved it. And we went in with the full orchestra and we recorded it. And so that's been like what, you know, just it was so emotional to be in the studio with like this 70 some piece orchestra, like doing my song was insane 25 years later. I would have never imagined it, you know. Um, I got to do Women's Euros, which was amazing as well with Becky Hill um, and Steph London. We uh, did a version of Free as part of her opening for the Women's Euros, which was a very historical year because England, lionesses, you know, it was their first time making it to the championship um, and it was against Germany. So that was like really huge because that was a massive rivalry and Germany was always like, you know, huge and hard to beat. And we actually won that year. So yeah, that was amazing. And it was because we did free first. So there you go. So we've been doing quite a few different things for it and and still some other things up our sleeve.
1: Yes. I love it. I can't wait to, to hear and see more. I love Iconopop. They're so sweet.
2: You cannot not love them. They are so good. They're so good. Yeah.
1: They're so nice and they're so talented and I love that song. I love it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The energy is crazy when we do that on stage. So yeah. Yeah. I'm so happy they let me do I Love It with them. So good.
1: (laughs) I was watching that on your Instagram. Mm-hmm. it seems like you're like doing shows like every night I'm like I'm seeing you just do so many <laughs> this must have been a crazy it's month for pride
2: like, I don't even know how I do it I need a clone <laughs> me too <laughs> I know you need a clone if I need a clone you certainly need one a couple
1: of them <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. also you had a residency spot at Space in Ibiza which mm-hmm. was a feature one of the clubs featured in the new series what are some of your favorite memories of that time in that club?
2: Oh, wow. Space was so, so special. I mean, ugh, I hated to see that club go. You know, it was about the culture of family that was created at space it was the big, the big takeaway from everything that was going on there. It was like being in the circus, really. It was like, you know, a family of unicorns. like everyone is special. Everybody has like their special thing that they they bring to the table. But collectively, we worked as a unit and supported each other as a unit and just brought this magic to the t- to the stage every weekend um for clubbers coming from somewhere else every single week and people like ready to immerse themselves in you know all of this this just you know, epic vibe of like music and 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 dancers and vocalists and DJs and just like it's like stimulation overload coming at you. And I was with a party specifically called Cafe Olay, and I had been a resident with them for a number of years. And I and I was very happy uh, working with them. They, you know, really had an amazing amazing um, outfit. And Cafe Olay was built on what they call the people of the night in Ibiza, which was you know the natives. And it was a party mainly for them, and then the tourists on top of it. So it would be you would get rich um, culture. It'd be the culture from this kind of party aesthetically and musically. Um, and it was just a, it was just a lot of love, a, a lot of really great talented people, and a lot of love, DJing for them um, in Ibiza, at space, and also when they toured. Um, I went on tour with them for a few dates as well, and got to DJ as well as perform. So, it's it's you know it was a great family experience and living in Ibiza for uh, a couple of summers as well, and having my son there with him with me to experience that as well. It was it was pretty beautiful.
1: Yeah, I love Ibiza. I had my residency at Amnesia called my Foam mm-hmm. and Diamonds party for mm-hmm. like I don't even know like five years straight, and I lived in Ibiza for like a few months out of the year every summer and it's just such a beautiful magical island.
2: It really is. And people when they think of it, you know, they think of like it's only just, you know, party all day, party all night. And you can definitely get that if that's what you want, but there's the other side of it. It's just is something very grounding and um beautiful about the energy of the island. And a lot of the, a lot of the locals have said that there's some like magnetic force or something. Um because of where it's located because of where the island is located with the equator mm-hmm. and um, I don't know if it's true or not but the energy there is just really beautiful the rustic environment, the food the the sea is gorgeous you know there's just there's just an amazing vibe it really is
1: it's you have to go there to feel it and experience it because it's like mm-hmm. no other So we both started going to nightclubs at a young age. What was the first nightclub that you remember going to? Let's
2: see. The first nightclub I went to was the one I mentioned earlier that my that my good friend Jay introduced me to. It was a club in Baltimore called Odell's. And Odell's was like a baby Paradise Garage. It was it was like built on the template of what Paradise Garage was. So it had the same Richard Long sound system, which was like in you know, integral to that club culture at the time. Analog sound was the like the backbone of what the whole thing was about um the light show the DJs the the uh programming of the music it was definitely built on that and and the club was run by a man at the time named Wayne Davis who I got to know over the years he's you know become like family now but he's basically been like the 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 godfather of our whole dance music scene and creating that space for us I was in what they call the later years of Odells as some of like the people who went to the early years. It's a whole snob thing going on. If you went to the early years, like then you went to the real Odells. But if you went in the later years, that's kind of like when it was about to fall off or going left a little bit. So you're like kind of not a real Odell's person. But that's like local, local political drama. So I was in the late end of it because I was I was a little too young to get into the um into those early years. But I followed Wayne to his next club, which was Club Fantasy, which was a very small little shoebox that only lasted for two years. And then he opened the Paradox, which was a 13,000 square foot club that had two dedicated rooms, a, a basketball court, a kitchen, an outdoor court. Like it was major. And that club lasted for 27 years. So that's always been kind of the backbone of my club experience was what we were doing in Baltimore. And it was always kind of mirroring what Paradise Garage and the warehouse in Chicago were.
1: Mm, So much fun. Mm -hmm. What city do you think has the best nightclub scene?
2: Oh, that's going to get me in trouble. (laughs) That's so hard. All of them. (laughs) I think, uh, I think I would say probably New York across the board. Only in, in terms of consistently through the years, um, in having the amount of options available, um, the evolution, you know, Manhattan used to have like a million places to go. And then now it's kind of, it kind of died off for a minute. And then it's its kind of shifted to Brooklyn now. All the clubs are in Brooklyn. But in terms of like one city that has a lot of different options available, New York seems to always have been pretty consistent for the last, you know, three, four, four decades or so.
1: Yeah, I agree. had so many epic experiences in New York. Why do you think nightclubs and nightlife are so important?
2: I think they're really important on so many different levels. But um, I think nightclubs present a situation where people can find their tribe and they can find themselves. Um, They are accepted on their own terms. They can go there and be whoever they want to be in that moment. Um, They can find their real selves or they can be somebody else and still be accepted in ways that they probably couldn't in the conventional world. So it's a safe space. Mm-hmm. Um it's like-minded people and the music is something that kind of strips away um a lot of our barriers between each other, but also our some of our own drama within ourselves can be stripped away by the music and the sense of community that you can find there at times if, when you're in the in the that situation, it's a very spiritual connection a lot of times. Um, and I think over the years, as clubs have evolved, you know, people have needed them more and more to deal with the political climate or, you know, all of these different things that are going on, these these forces outside that, that make things really, really difficult. There's that level of escapism in club culture, you know. Uh, we look at it as you know, we're going to church on the weekend. We're going to let our hair down and we're going to dance and dance our cares away and all our troubles and and let that all go for a couple hours and just be in this very communal moment with these other people who some you may have never laid eyes on before. I know I've danced all night with people that I've never seen before and, and I'll probably never see them again. But in that moment, we were locked in a groove mm-hmm. and there was a, a reciprocal relationship happening you know it's hard to describe if you've never experienced that some people now you know they go to clubs because it's just a popular place to go or they go to find love find a date but if you're going for the music which is what it really was central to the theme of club culture you know that's a that's a whole different level
1: yeah I can totally relate to that in so many ways just clubs were definitely like an escape and just like finding your tribe and just feeling accepted and loved and just music has just always been such a big part of my life. And um,
2: yeah, I think it's definitely. like, you know, it's the energy, you know, there's so much energy around, around that. And, you know, people are, are looking for that. They're looking for that moment that makes them feel alive, that makes them feel connected to something that makes them feel a part of something bigger than themselves. Um, and I think club culture presents that you when you have this massive sound system, these light shows going on, you know, and all this different stimuli happening, um it takes it beyond just um, a social thing. it it really makes it very personal and very deep for you. and um you know it can be it can be life-changing for a lot of people in a lot of different ways. I mean, families have come out of people have met their significant others and developed families and you know or or you know not even romantic family but just like people that they care about family that they've chosen um it serves a lot of different purposes
3: yeah
1: i think that social media has definitely changed the club scene just like mm-hmm. it used to be just more only about like the music and having fun but i just noticed like ever since
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The, you know, the whole culture of everyone standing around looking at the DJ is so strange. It's so strange and foreign to me because, you know, for us, it was always about like, I just, I got to get on that dance floor and let the fool loose. You know, no one has time to stand there and watch the DJ like twiddle their knobs. (laughs) And I DJ's. So I don't need you standing here all night watching me twiddle my tops <sighs> or whatever. Like, I don't need that. Go dance, you know? <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> well, that was so much fun to talk about the past. And I can't wait for our next episode where we talk about the present. So I'll see you soon. Yes. Thanks for listening to I Am Paris. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at I Am Paris Podcast. Email us at paris at iheartradio.com. Be hot and subscribe now. Loves it.
0: Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on a Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah!
3: work.
4: Zumo Play.